Good morning. Oh, it feels so strange to have this lapel on. Good morning. Oh, I feel weird that I have my left hand. <laughs> like, what can I do with this hand? Um, I want to pray. I want to pray. Skip jumped the gun and beat me to the punch and prayed for everybody, but I want to pray still. And I want to say something before we pray. A few weeks back, I was able to go to Sacramento and watch Stephen Furtick in person and watch Elevation Worship. And I'm skeptical of everybody, right? I question everything. What's your motive, Stephen? You're a great preacher. What's your motives? But I believe the guy, I believe he, he loves God. And I believe that he knows his job in the kingdom. And so he shared something that night from his message that I'm going to draw out of it before we pray. Because right now we're going to pray for healing. Okay? Well, Chris, the church I grew up in, they don't believe in that stuff. Well, that's weird because my Bible says that Jesus healed. And my Jesus said that those who believe in me will do the same works I have done, even greater works, John 14, 12. That's what my Jesus told me. He raised Lazarus from the dead. You're going to do even greater works than that. Well, Chris, I'm not worthy to pray for healing for people. I don't have the faith. I don't know. I don't really, I don't know. Well, let's take a look at that before we pray. There was a young cat named Peter. Peter. He wasn't an attorney. He wasn't a local contractor. He wasn't a trusted real estate broker. He was not a tax collector. He was not a religious man. He was a fisherman. A stinky job that kept you away from your family and you might not bring anything home. This same Peter, he had a ton of faith, right? <clears throat> Wrong. Wrong. This is what Peter did. Jesus, tell me to walk out there on the water. And he started walking, and what happened? He sank. <clears throat> Peter was full of faith. He was the right guy. Then, when Jesus said, this is what's going to have to happen to me, no way. You know, Jesus had 12 disciples, and Peter was the only one he called Satan. Get behind me, Satan. That's what he told Peter. Hey, that same Peter on the night that Jesus was being betrayed, and everything was unfolding as Jesus told him it would, Peter pulls out his sword because he's full of faith, and he's the right guy for the job. And he cuts off the ear of a, of, a, of a soldier. He's the right guy to pray for you. Then the same Peter, full of faith, denies his Lord three times. Because that's how much faith he had to pray for people and believe in healing. 
And Peter was the first person to heal anybody after Jesus left. The beggar at the gate. Peter, full of faith, full of doubt, full of fear, called Satan by his Lord. He's the first guy to heal. So I don't know where you are with your walk in the Lord, but I'm sure you're no better off or worse off than Peter. So I want everybody to reach your hands out, and we're going to pray. Father, I pray healing over Carla, Carla Lofton right now, Lord God. I pray healing over Angel Chance right now, Lord God. I pray healing on their bodies, Lord God. I pray miraculous healing, Lord God, that you go to the cellular level, Lord, and you do things that people could only say are a miracle, Lord. We just ask for that. We're not even going to go deeper. We're not going to, oh, well, I mean, maybe you do this. and maybe, No, we, want, we are expectant, Lord. We're going to be expectant, Lord. You said we could do the same works, and we're going to come together in our faith, Lord, and believe in those works. We pray healing on them, Lord. If there's anybody else in this room right now, Lord, that needs healing in their body, Lord, healing in their heart, healing in their emotions, Lord, I pray that you touch them right now with the mighty touch of your spirit, Lord, and that you heal that blemish, Lord, that you take that away, Lord, whatever it be, we pray it right now in the name of Jesus, amen. amen. An unlikely turn of events. Shift directions. An unlikely turn of events. Joseph, man. We're in Joseph. You know I like to recap. Recap, recap, recap. Five years from now, somebody's going to ask you about the book of Genesis. You're going to be like, oh, yeah, and you're going to know it. And you're be like, oh, yes. An unlikely turn of events. Do you know what Joseph was that a lot of us are not? He was expectant. He had two dreams that told him he was going to rule. And at 17 years old, there's not a soul in this room. Well, we got a couple. Nobody here really under 17. Couple. Three. Three. At 17, after these two dreams of grandeur, probably narcissism to the family, He's betrayed by his brothers who want to kill him. They sell him to the Ishmaelites, right? Catching up in the story. The Ishmaelites sell him to Potiphar. He goes to Potiphar. All of a sudden, he becomes in charge of Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's important to the Pharaoh. So he's doing really well. And then Potiphar's wife has him thrown in jail by false accusations. And now he's been in jail. What kind of questions do you think he was having with God? Oh, Lord, you're so gracious and merciful. Oh, I know this is all going to turn around for the good. Is that what they sounded like? Is that what your prayer would have sounded like? Joseph was expectant. He expected something. Joseph was a guy that could feel and see by the things that continued to happen in his life that God shows up, fourth quarter, 22 seconds left on the clock, you don't even have possession of the ball, and you win the game. That is what God does. However, what stinks is that God doesn't show up until it is the fourth quarter, there's 22 seconds left on the clock, and you do not have possession of the ball. That's when he shows up. That's what he did in the life of Joseph. 
You know, Joseph was expectant because he'd had a vision. Some of you have not had a vision. Moses didn't have a vision. Not right away. Yes, he did, Chris. A burning bush talked to him. Duh. But at 40 years old, 40 years old, he's stripped of his title from Pharaoh's house. Everything that was good going on in his life, gone. Wanders off in the woods, into the wilderness, has this burning bush experience, and then goes and spends 40 more years in Midian doing what? Tending flock. At 80 years old, expectant. At 80 years old, he's expectant. What's God going to do? God brings him back to Israel, or bring, brings him back to Egypt, I'm sorry, and he becomes our second image of a savior. Right? Here's Joseph, 400 years earlier, waiting for God to show up. Now, mind you, the, remember the Bible uses the term a while. A while has gone by. He's been in prison. He's been in prison a long time. He's now working for the captain of the guard, so he's like in charge in jail. But mind you, he's in jail in a foreign land, 10 plus years away from his dreams of ruling. So at this point, it does not make sense, right? What makes sense for us? Our lives look nothing like that. Our lives look nothing like that. And we lose our expectancy. We're not expecting. Oh, I just go to church on Sunday and I keep praying, keep open. I know God's going to do something. It's so true. I'm guilty of this too. That's how I know it's true. I do it too. So Joseph, been locked up a long time. Similar story about somebody crazy. Anybody read the book of 12 Years a Slave? Anybody seen the movie 12 Years a Slave? The true story of Solomon Northrup, who was a black man in 1841 who was a freeman in the north part of the country. He was drugged and sold into slavery, spent 12 years in hell, and got freed, wrote a book. They made a movie on it a few years back. Anyways, it was, it was, it was based off the book. Do you think that's what he was expecting when he was living a normal life every single day that he was going to go out, have a couple drinks with some guys who were being very nice to him and talking about his music and wake up with chains on? This is similar to what's happened with Joseph. So Joseph has been in, in prison now. And remember, these, these, the, the, the chief butler and the chief baker were in, in jail with him and they both had these dreams and he tells them, this is what your dream means, and I'm sorry, but this is what your dream means. Your dream is good, your dream not so much. Don't mean to tell you that the end of your life is in three days, but you have three days to live. That's scary. So what does he tell the chief butler when he tells him he's going to be restored? Don't forget about me. Please don't forget about me. He gets out, he doesn't forget about him, but he also doesn't mention him. 
But in Joseph's eyes, in your eyes, in my eyes, he's been forgotten. Yes? You've been forgotten. When I tell you to remember me in this situation, and this situation passes, and you've not said anything about me, you burned me and you forgot about me. Period. I see it no other way, right? That's looking with the eyes, the human eyes. So, my left hand's still over here. No microphone. So, Joseph, here, so here's Joseph. Now, another time has passed, and Pharaoh has his dreams last week. Remember, we read this last week. Pharaoh's had his dreams, and the chief butler remembers Joseph and says, wait a minute. Do you remember a long time ago? Poor guy. Do you remember a long time ago when I was locked up and I came back out and you put me back into my place and restored me? Well, when I was in jail, I had a dream about that. And this Hebrew was in there and he told me what my, was going to happen in my dream. He also told the chief baker what was going to happen in his dream. And what he said would happen happened. Maybe you should check this guy out. And the Pharaoh did what? He listened. God stirs the heart of all Pharaohs, yes? So the Pharaoh listened, and, and Joseph comes out, gets clean shaved, because he looks like, remember I told you, it described he's been in jail a long time. He probably looks like Forrest Gump running the country. Big beard, long hair, doesn't look well. Probably, who knows how he's eating, you know? The conditions of jail in those times compared to jail today is probably not the same. So, so Joseph's confused. Now, now, if you're Joseph, and you're a Hebrew, and you're in jail, and you've been there a long time, and now you've been put on the spot to interpret the Pharaoh's dream, when you know that one of the two last dreams he interpreted had somebody's head cut off, don't, you, you know, you got to read between the lines when you're reading the Bible, folks. You're Joseph, and you know you just predicted that one guy was going to live and one guy was going to die, and you're not even an Egyptian. You're in a foreign land. You're not even 30 years old. And now you're being called to go up before Pharaoh himself, who in Egypt considers himself to be a god, and you're about to interpret his dream. This could go good, or this could go not good. Right? If I give him this bad news, off with his head, you know? So Joseph does. He tells him everything that he sees. And at the end of his conversation, he says, not only is this what's going to happen, this is what I think Pharaoh should do. So picking up today, Genesis 41. I think I'm going to do my best. I've been praying, I'm, I'm timing out here. Time out, Chris. I'm praying about 2023. Visionary 2023. A vision statement and a vision verse for this church for 2023. I would like to start that vision and verse in the beginning of 2023. Therefore, I may accelerate through these last few chapters of Joseph's rise to power so that we can finish through the end of the year because Christmas is coming and I know you want to hear about Jesus. I know you want to hear about Jesus. Christmas is coming 
And December, we're going to focus on Christ. And then after that, I'd like to try to get out of Genesis by January. So we shall see. I shall do my best. I shall think ahead. It may not go down that way. I'm just forewarning you guys what we're trying to do here. Now, okay, so back to where we were reading. Genesis 41. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Wow. Dude, a long time ago, my brothers wanted to kill me and sold me, and I ended up here, and now the Pharaoh just put me in charge of everything. Wow. That's like getting a call next week from the corporation you work for and them telling you they're going to promote you to the executive vice president position effective immediately. I'm serious. And you live in America. It's Walmart. We just want to let you know that we've just taken you past store manager, district manager, East Coast supervisor to executive vice president, sales, retail, West Coast. Right? That's what happened in this story. You've got you to emphasize that this is what is happening in this story. See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring for signing. He took it off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. So he didn't even trust anybody to do that before Joseph. Here's my signet ring right off his hand onto the hand of Joseph. Did you ever pick that up in the story? Well, you did today. Yes, Chris, I read it 14 times. I've read that. All right. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he, sent, so he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, let's read that again. I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Wow. Pharaoh also, uh-oh. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paneah. And he gave him his wife, Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. If I said those names wrong, thank you. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He was 17 when his brother sold him. Almost half his life he has spent in a place that he does not understand what is happening, why it is happening. So you got to put yourself in the shoes. Empathy. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. 
So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up, in the food, laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came. Seven years of good, folks. And his sons were born to him before the seven years of famine came. I'm showing you a timeline here. Whom Aseneth, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. 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 It's Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Wow. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended. And the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over most of the face of the earth. Oh, right, it doesn't say that. The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened most of the storehouses, all the storehouses, and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt, so all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in most lands, all lands. There's something to be taught in that story when the getting's good, store up wisely. Is that what we do? No. Why? That's right. This story teaches us that even if we have it all, we should be prepared for if we might not. Save something for a rainy day. Joseph had been faithful over all the little things, negative or positive, that God had set before him. If you, so I remember this. Um, I used to have this uh, English teacher, and he would teach you a word at the beginning of the year. And he would tell you the word, and he said he would give bonus points to anybody at the end of the year if you remembered the word. And the word was empathy. And it meant to put yourself in the shoes of someone else. Go deeper, to put yourself in the shoes of someone else emotionally, mentally, you're, put yourself in their shoes. I was blessed to have him teach us that word that year because all I did all year was thought about that word, thought about what it meant, Applied it in so many different areas of my life, and I've been applying it in my life ever since. It's always given me the ability to take scripture 
and use empathy in every story I read, and you put yourself in that story, what would I do? How would I feel? What would I think? Yes, Chris, that's 101 Bible. No, that's not. Not everybody does that. But you need to start doing that. Every story. Use the empathy. Use empathy with every character. Because you may not like some of them. Joseph had been faithful over all the little things, negative or positive, that God had set before him. First he lost everything, he was stripped, his clothes were ripped off, stained in the blood of a goat, taken back to his father, his father thinks he's dead, his brothers have lied about him, he ends up sold, and he ends up in Potiphar's house, you know what he did? He complained about it. He complained, cried, kicked, screamed, and just sat there and said, I'm done, I give up on life. Is that what he did? Nope. You know what he did? He said, God gave me a dream, and I'm going to keep moving forward. And then when he was in Potiphar's house and he took over everything, he couldn't believe it. And then the wife started trying to be with him. And you know what he did? He was with the woman, right? Oh, that's right. He was full of integrity. I've been given charge over everything here, and my God has given me charge over your house Potiphar's given me everything. The only thing he hasn't given me is you, which I will not cross that line. Paraphrasing, that's pretty much what went down. And day after day after day, the temptation was greater. He didn't even have a wife. He was given a wife later. He didn't even have a woman. He was in his early 20s. He was a male. She was beautiful. And he passed every time. Empathy. And then what happened? Because he did the right thing, he went to jail for it. And then when he showed up in jail, what did he do? He kicked and he screamed, he cried, he complained, he said, I give up on life. Oh, no, that's not what he did. He stepped up to the plate and God did the same thing he does with him everywhere he took him and he started to rock and roll. And he was put in charge of everything. And when those two guys came up to him and told him he had dreams, they had dreams, you know what he told them? Who cares about your dreams? My dreams were garbage. Look at where I'm at. Is that what he said? Nope. He said, all dreams come from God. Tell me your dream and I'll tell you what's going on. And then when they told him his dreams, did he tell him, hey man, well, I can't really interpret that. Knowing the truth? No. He spoke integrity, truth, and honor. And he said, Pharaoh's going to restore you and unfortunately Pharaoh's going to kill you. And now he steps before Pharaoh Cleans up, hears Pharaoh's dreams, knows that the first seven years sound real good, but knows he's about to give the Pharaoh really bad news. But he gave it to him anyways, didn't he? Joseph had been faithful over all the little things, negative or positive, that God had set before him. That was that bullet point. Number two, this story is about the exaltation of Joseph. The rise to power Because you know what God does when you're responsible with something small? He gives you more. And then you know what he does when he gives you a little bit more and you do well with it and you're responsible with it? He gives you more. Joseph has gone from sold to slave to jail to full power because he remained faithful and kept doing the right thing with integrity 
no matter what was going on. Pharaoh placed Joseph in charge of all except himself. What an honor. Bonus point, who's the number two person in this country? We would think. Speaker of the House. Speaker in the House really has more say and power than the Vice President, but give or take. You go from nobody, you go from Vacaville, medical facility, prison, to Speaker of the House, overnight. Pharaoh placed Joseph in charge of all except himself. Let's go through another, let's go through a list of things that happened here. He was given Pharaoh's signet ring right from his hand. I love that part of the story. Nobody else had that ring. Nobody else had that power to speak, say, write, and stamp that this is what it's going to be. Nobody had that power except Pharaoh himself. He gave that power to Joseph by taking that ring right off his finger, not off of this guy's finger, off of his finger, and gave it to Joseph. That's what God does with you. God just gives you his son. Yes? No matter what you've done, he's ready to give you his son. He was again clothed in fine linen. That would be scary because the last time he put on a nice robe, it marked his death. And the second time his garments got him to be guilty in the house. You remember when he went to run, he left his garment behind. So when I told you in a few weeks back, I'd said two times already, his garments have caused him trouble. So when he gets clothed in fine linen here, if I was Joseph, I'd be a little skeptical. Empathy. Uh-oh, here come the good clothes again. Better watch out. He was given a gold neck chain. Everything that he was given was to show value and status. Everything that happened for him was to show status. Here's the ring, here's the linens, here's the neck chain. He rode in the second chariot. So what? So the people could give him homage, respect, honor. He rode right next to Pharaoh. That's where Pharaoh wanted him. Immediately. Immediately, Pharaoh took him and put him right there. That's what God does with you. No matter where you are, no matter if you're a Peter or a Paul or a prostitute or a sinner of whatever degree, God is ready to pick you up right where you are today and set you right here. That's what he wants to do with you. He was given a wife. As what? As a token of his new status. The man ruling this country can't be without a woman. And then he was given a new Egyptian name. Sound familiar? When you go to heaven, you will be given a new name. You know what the Bible says? It says your name will be AB7Q422Z-4. It'll be unique to you. I made that up, but you guys know what I'm saying. It says in Revelation that we will each be given a new name and it'll be unique. My name's Chris. There are a million Chrises. A million. We got a couple here today. 
In heaven, you will have a name that is unique to you. You see, I'm Chris Jackson. My son is Chris Jackson. Well, I'm Chris Scott Jackson. My son is Chris Scott Jackson. Well, I'm senior. He's junior, but I don't have senior on my stuff. He has junior on his. Oh, there's a difference. No, we're still Chris Jackson. In heaven, you'll have a name unique to you. Joseph here was given a new name, just the same. Joseph, the first image of your coming Savior. Number three, in spite of his success, he did not abandon his what? Israelite heritage. Even though I'm going to tell you here that he named his son Manasseh, which meant God has helped me forget all my toil and all my family. All the past, all the last 13 years of wrong that has happened to me, I forgot it. But he didn't give that name to his son in Egyptian. He gave that name to his son in his native language. Manasseh. He gave his sons two Hebrew, he gave his two sons Hebrew names. First one, Manasseh. God made him forget the misery of all his toils and past. I just said it. God made him forget all the misery of his toils and past. Now, there was a reason I told you guys there was a timeline. You remember it says before the famine, before the famine, these two sons were born. Okay, well, a pregnancy takes nine months. He just met this woman. He's just become married to her. I don't know how much time has passed. But obviously, let's just put it this way. Life has become so good for Joseph that he called his first son Manasseh and said, God has made me forget all the toils of my past. See, some of you have hurts and wrongs and things that went bad in your life 25 years ago and you are still struggling with it. You're still holding on to it. You're still bitter about it. What does God need to do to help you forget it? Manasseh. Ephraim, the second son, fruitful, signified that God made him fruitful in the land of Egypt. Number four, Joseph's wisdom bore fruit. Seven good years were followed by seven years of severe famine. What does severe famine look like? So bad. You want to talk about desperation? There's people here on our streets. It's cold. It's winter. They're still sleeping outside. God bless them. I feel horrible every time I drive by and I see the same person asking me for money every day. I'd like to give the guy a job. I don't want to give him money. If I give him money, I encourage him to be there tomorrow asking for money again. Do you remember what uh, the Bible said to do to the guy that's asking you for $5 at the temple gate? Give it to him, right? Oh, no, that's not what it said. Peter and John... We're entering the temple gate, and there was the beggar, crippled, who hadn't walked, and he asked them for money. What did they say? Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I will give to you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus, and they helped him up to his feet. Is that what we're doing when we see somebody standing at the corner asking us for $5, or do we do this? 
window up. Oh, look at the trees are really red and bloom right there. And we are past. Ouch! Pastor Chris, you know anybody that does that? Sometimes. I remember one day I was at the Walmart right here. I went into the Walmart. And I was on my way out, self-checkout. And I don't know what happened, but I'm like, oh, those whatchamacallits are calling my name. I grab a whatchamacallit. I go, nope. I need two. So I grab two whatchamacallits. I'm like, I cannot wait to just tear into these. It's on. I grab the two whatchamacallits. I buy them. I don't do this very often. I get in the car. I leave. I'm pulling out. And there's that guy by the end of the sportsman's warehouse corner. You know? And I rolled up, and my window went down, and I knew in that moment, this is why God had you buy two candy bars, because you're going to give him one. And I gave him that candy bar, and he was grateful. That's how God shows up, right? Silver and gold I did not have, but I had a candy bar that day, and I know he needed food. Where am I at? Seven good years at Walmart. Seven good years were followed by seven years of severe famine. Egyptians came to buy from Joseph. The Egyptians themselves, think about what I'm going to share with you right now. Now let me, let's think about an economy here. Economy. How familiar does this look to what world we live in? Hey guys, I'm the President of the United States. This, this guy who's an economic forecaster, he says things are going to be real good for the next couple years. However, after that, it's not going to be good. Do you know what all the people in Egypt did? They prepared and saved, right? Nope. They sure didn't. Because they immediately, as soon as the seven years of good were over, they immediately had nothing. And they had to go and buy from Joseph. Because they planned well, right? No, one man planned well. And when one man plans well, you can save the world. Ooh, how do you like that? When one man plans well on the calling of God, with God on his side, and God behind his back, and God under his feet, and God coming out of his mouth, and God coming out of his heart, and he says what God wants him to say, he gets put in charge of everything, and with one man, he's going to save the world. Joseph was not just a savior to the Israelites in the next upcoming chapters. He was a savior to the world. Because what does it say? Bullet point C, other countries came to buy from Joseph. It doesn't say the Egyptians were hungry and the Israelites were hungry. It says all the countries of the world were hungry. What does Jesus call himself? The bread of what? The bread of life. Not for one race, not for the Jews only, but for the Gentiles. Right? Bible tells us that, yes? One man, Jesus, here, one man, Joseph, saved the whole world. I told you 14 times before we got to Joseph, Joseph was the first image of a savior. 
Bullet point five, wrapping it up. At last, Joseph was in power in Egypt. God's revelation to him by dreams was being fulfilled. It just took 13 years. And that's not it, folks. See, we live in today. We live in the next hour. I'm certain that some of you have probably looked at your phone or your watch to see what time it was and when Pastor Chris is going to shut up and go home. That's okay. That's okay. That is okay. It's normal. It's normal, right? Because we live in this time. We live in now. And now just passed. That now I just said just passed again. And that now just passed again. Joseph was imprisoned and all these horrible things happened to him for 13 years. 13 years. Now he rises to power. Do the math here, folks. Seven years of good. What are we at now in Joseph's timeline? 13 plus 7. Where are we at? 20 years. And now we're going to get into seven years of famine. So now how many years are we at? 27 years. How long have I been at this church? One. One as the pastor. Three. Three altogether. We got a lot of time to do a lot of things that happen between the lines, folks. That's why we're here. We got to learn to look and live in God's time. Because God gives us all this in a matter of a page. And it's 30 years in that page. 30 years. There's one point where you're going to turn the page and you're going to go Malachi and you're going to turn the page and it's 400 years. Oh, how about this one? At the end of Genesis, when we turn the page from Genesis 50 to Exodus 1, it's 400 years. 400 years. That's you, your kids, their kids, the great-grandkids, the great-great-grandkids, and 17 generations after that. 400 years. Hypothetical number. I didn't count that. I don't know. 17. I don't know. You see what I'm saying? Do the math here, folks. We live in God's time. You know what the problem with living in God's time is? You want to live in your time. And your time is, I want God to do something now. And how does God answer prayer? Yes, no, and later. I'm getting it. You guys are getting this. God's revelation to Joseph, to him by dreams, was being fulfilled. The first part only took 13 years. Now this seven years of famine, or seven years of good went by, we're at 20 years. And in the same story, before we close the, the chapter, uh, bullet point, God made me forget about all my toils, blah, blah, blah. Ah, then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended. Uh, seven years, period. Gone, right there. Seven years passed in this chapter. And now we're in the, 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 the famine. Years pass here in God's time. So, 20 years. You say, well, Chris, we got, we're called to go out in the mission field and we're called to do all this stuff. All right, let's look at the life of Paul. Paul had his uh, blinding experience on the road. Do you know how many years passed before Paul started his first missionary journey? Well over 10 years. 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 And then after that, years were going by. And then he ends up in jail. He's writing these letters. By the time he's done all this, 
I think two decades have gone by. I want to say somewhere like 23, 24 years from this moment where he's like, Mike, you've been persecuting me long enough. You're going to be my guy. Go meet this guy. He's going to train you up. 20 years goes by. You're like, but Chris, I've been coming here for a year. Nothing's changed in my life. Do the math. God's time or your time. Be expectant. It's time for us all to be a Joseph. Be a Joseph to your spouse. Be a Joseph to your children. Be a Joseph for God. I will listen to what you tell me. I will speak the truth. I will be wise and show good counsel. I will save when everything's good so that when things might not be good, we will be okay. Somebody in our house needs to be a Joseph. Somebody in our house needs to be a Joseph. Because you know what happens when you're a Joseph? There's a bonus to that. God makes you forget all your troubles. Manasseh. And then God Ephraims you. Fruitful in this land of plenty. See that? Let's be a little more like Joseph this week. All right, guys, we got to grow this church. Get out, invite, do your thing. I can only come up here each week, and then I got to work the rest of the week. I love you guys. I'm really happy for what God's doing here. I, I, I'm, looking at, I'm looking ahead. I'm looking at God's timeline. You ever seen how God weeds things out? You see? God's weeding things out. Chris, what about my best friend? They came here for 20 years. I don't, I don't know why they're not here anymore. But we can't keep trying to put new wine into old wineskins. Do you hear that? We can't keep trying to put new wine into old wineskins. This is the Rivers Church 2022, November. We've got to start living with a heart and the mindset of the Rivers tomorrow. Not the Rivers 20 years ago. Because we're not the Rivers 20 years ago now. We need to go out. We need to invite people to come to church. We need to have difficult conversations. I have a really good friend who does this with everybody he does. I did it the other day, and I'm going to shut up after this. I'm going to let you go home. Anytime he meets somebody, do you want to know what he says to them? Do you believe that, do you believe that there's only one true creator of the heaven and earth? It's okay, whatever you answer. And then no matter what they answer, he follows up with, do you believe that Jesus was the son of God and that he died on the cross for your sins? And then regardless of their answer, he goes with a third statement and says, do you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day? He asks that to everybody new that he meets. I practiced this the other day with somebody. And it was funny because they were like looking at me with the first question. They were like flabbergasted and they didn't know how to answer it. And then I just went to the second question. So it was like flabbergasting them more. Sometimes you can be so bold that you just like people are like they don't know what to say. But you want to know what it does? It makes them think. And like I keep telling you, 
We don't need to just bring Christians from other places who already believe in Jesus here. We need to start inviting people who do not know God. Who do not know God. We need to start talking to people about Jesus. We need to fill that great commission. Go out and tell everyone about me. Don't, we can't keep telling the people who already know. Because when we're doing that, we're trying to put new wine into old wineskins. You know what else Jesus said? He said, pray for that person forever and ever and ever. No, that ain't what he said. You know what he said? He said, if they don't hear your message, kick the dust off your feet. Jesus said it. Kick the dust off your feet and keep going. That's what I've been doing for a long time. I'm never going to go out there and chase somebody to come here on Sunday morning. I'm never going to do that. I'm going to share an opportunity and I'm going to invite them to come. And if they come, they come. And if they don't, they don't. And I'm not going to sit there and keep giving my focus and attention to someone who's not going to come. I can't keep trying to put new wine into old wineskins. I want to put new wine in new wineskins. I want to start asking people every day, do you know... Do you believe that God is the one true creator of the heaven and earth? It's okay if you say no. Do you believe that Jesus was the son of God? It's okay if you say no. But did you know that, Jesus, that God raised him from the dead on the third day for the salvation of the world and the salvation of your sins? Did you know that? It's okay if you say no. I challenge you to ask somebody those three questions this week. Ask them. I challenge you further. Make it someone that you definitely don't know whether they believe in God or not. Let's pray. Father, Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, each week to come here, Lord, and serve your kingdom. I thank you that this church, we are focused on you, Lord. Slowly but surely, things are happening here, Lord. I see things happening, Lord. I see what you want to do, Lord. We are listening to the heart that you want for this church, Lord. Lord, we are trying to be faithful every day in spite of what our eyes see. Father, I pray over this family. I pray that you be with us this week. I pray that you give everybody in this room the boldness and the courage, the strength and the faith, Lord, to take the mission at hand, Lord, and to ask somebody about you and then invite them to church. Lord, I thank you in advance for those conversations. In Jesus' name, amen.